Welcome to the Proper English Podcast. Thank you guys for tuning in. This is like my first time doing anything like this. So uh, excuse me if I sound a little quiverish, you know what I'm saying? It's definitely got the butt cheeks clenched. But here it is, man. Um, why a podcast? You know, I could have chose any other platform to go with. Um, you know, this is the the age of the millennial. And we have all these different options to put stuff out. And what's crazy is, is that... Um, just because of that same environment we've been built up in, like it makes it super hard to put out something um, and go out on a limb, especially when nobody's directly asked you for it, you know, but it's been something that I feel like has been coming into fruition since I was a kid, man, you know, growing up in, in Iowa, um, I was, I'm used to being the, the only black person in the room, the only black person in the classroom. And, you know, this podcast is going to be talking about a, a bevy of different topics, but race is something that's going to be a recurring theme on this podcast for sure, because it's been a recurring theme in my life. I'm constantly reminded that I'm black everywhere I go, um, especially in a room full of white people. It is very <laughs> obvious all the time that you're always that. But anyway, back to the title, proper English. So where did that come from? You know, one day I was laid in the bed having a conversation with my lady and we kind of got on the subject of, you know, what kind of makes us what. And we always have these super deep intellectual sit up for hours type of conversation. And we got on the subject of, you know, always feeling like we never really fit in with a specific group or type of people when we were growing up. We always were kind of like chameleons or figured out how to fit in with a little bit of everybody. But what that ends up doing is is we didn't really have any true alliances or any strong, <laughs> you know, foundation or like a group of friends, basically. So you always felt like to the white people, because that's the majority of people we were around, we never fit in because we was too black, you know. But then... After, you know, about 1996, 97, after a lot of, you know, the projects and stuff started getting torn down in Chicago and gentrification started happening, we all of a sudden started seeing more black people in the area, you know, and that was that was definitely different because it was like we were excited because it was like, holy crap, like it's black people at school. I'm not the only black person anymore. But what ended up happening is like we almost got immediately at odds because I talk like this and they're confused because they're like, who is, who is this uncle Tom coming up to me talking with the E's and the R's and shit at the end of his words. Um, <laughs> and it's just crazy because that's always what I was taught. It's like, you always, I, I talk white or, you know, I talk a certain way and what I speak is proper English. I choose my words wisely. You know, I, I don't think that um, people understand the power of words and when they say things, so I always have listened and read and always spoke very well just because my mother emphasized that to me coming up. You know, a lot of people won't get the job. A lot of people won't get the opportunity just simply because of a, a language barrier, you know. Um, but I had to learn later on in life that a lot of these are social constructs that are that are built in place, a part of a bigger system to hold you know, certain people down and keep certain people in positions where they are, you know, but proper English is something that I've put a lot of 
I put my whole life into, you know, and I just want to put a perspective out there that might be unique. Um, well, not even unique, rather, but just not highlighted. Um, a lot of the people that you hear on the radio or you hear on the media, it's usually a very extreme view, like they're talking crazy. There's no real facts being discussed. It's all about the click. You know, I just wanted to come with something that, you know, you might be able to, to apply to your life immediately, you know, because I've been able to do things in my life that I never thought possible, especially being a statistic. You know, I had a child at 17. I was raised by a single black mother. Um, my father wasn't around, you know, like all the typical a lot of. Well, let me say, let me switch that. A lot of the typical um, stigmas that already are attached to us as black people. You know, coming out the womb, I was I was already, you know, <laughs> either going to be a, either going to go to jail or I was going to end up getting killed in some random incident. You know, in first grade, I was already fighting groups of white boys. So, I mean, <laughs> it is what it is. So, I mean, even from that instance, that was one of my first fights, you know, um, second grade on the playground. And there's plenty of people around. And I don't even remember exactly what me and the guys got into it about, but it was me and three other boys. Um, and you know what I'm saying? I did the best that I could to defend myself, but shoot, I was in second grade. I wasn't a trained fighter or a cage fighter. And I was raised by my mom and my sister, you know, like <laughs> I didn't necessarily know how to defend myself like that against three people. So I lost that fight for sure. Um, but None of those boys got in trouble for or, you know, were even approached. And it was right there on the playground, you know. But, you know, I did being the, the calculated person that I am. I go back and I exact my revenge the way that I know best. I alienate you, pick you out one by one. All right, let's do this. So, of course, the first person that I even strike, I punch this guy in the neck. And the teacher is standing way on the other side of the field and sees that exchange and I'm immediately sent to the principal's office, immediately in school suspension. Um, so right out the gate, I was already shown like this is this is what it's going to be. You know, I'm held to a way higher standard of accountability than everybody else. You know, even from me getting in trouble for little things like cursing when I was in first grade and a little boy doing the same exact thing. But because I'm the the big, black, scary you know, <laughs> person in the room and I'm the only one, like I, I'm immediately just treated different. So it's just crazy, you know, that that's how life, you know, how life is gone and where we're at in this day and age. Like we could be so much further than we are now, but we we're still stuck in these old ways of thinking that, um, number one, that black people that we're inferior, black people that where um that we're descendants of just slaves and that's all of our history that's the only history that we know so hopefully throughout this podcast you know you guys will be able to in betwixt my ignorance and random rants from time to time you'll be able to kind of soak up some of this and i'll always drop a, a book review because i'm always reading um today i'll talk a little bit about rich dad poor dad which is a book i read about four or five years ago and just reread here recently, um, it's definitely changed my life. You know, it's one of the main reasons I started this this company and started this podcast um, because I wanted to own something. You know, we're always taught that you know you got to get the big house, the big car, the good job, or well, in reverse order, get the good job, 
<laughs> but that all stems from getting an education or getting a degree. And I just found that really peculiar because, you know, all the men in my life that own property or that I know that are successful, none of them have a college degree, you know, that I was raised by. Only one of them I can think of actually has a college degree. You know, my great grandfather was a pillar in the community that I was raised in. He's gotten numerous awards for, you know, from the NAACP. He's marched with Martin Luther King. He owns a, a very huge house in the in Rock Island. And it's he 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 didn't even get I'm pretty sure that he didn't even get out of high school. And then my grand and then my grandfather had a seventh grade education. And if you know anything about the Quad Cities, there's literally like two or three things there. You've got the Rock Island Arsenal. You've got the Mark of the Quad Cities and John Deere is there. So <laughs> and they have like they just have like a facility there. So uh, my grandfather ran Basically, he was in senior management at the Rock Island Arsenal for years. My mother was the first African-American woman and first woman, period, to go through the apprenticeship program. So, like, there's always been a level of success in my family before or even before anybody had any degrees. Um, so, me, myself, I'm not college. I, I started college, but I didn't finish because I didn't have true guidance. And I see so many people going through the same cycle of getting a degree, not really having any any, um, any real experience in the job force. And then they get out and they're trying to figure out, well, why can't I find a job in my field? You know, but I've uh, I've worked in a, a bevy of different, you know, places. I've got a lot of different experiences. And um, one of the most rewarding experiences I've had is being able to work in basically like HR staffing and in the employment side of things. Um, and I, I can't lie, you know, that was, I was definitely a minority in that, um, aspect as well, because most places that you go, uh, black people are usually the majority of the workforce, but we're nowhere to be found in upper management. So it's always, it's always a relief. And it's, it's hilarious when I do orientations or when I would do presentations in front of groups and I could see how relaxed and how at ease uh, people of color were when they saw who was conducting the interview and, you know, who was running it, opposed to when somebody else is running the interview. It's like you get you already know <laughs> you got to be on your P's and Q's and you come off, you know, come off super duper fake and you end up shooting yourself in the foot in the long run. But I've been in this game for about five years, you know. And I do the best that I can. And I, I, <laughs> it's definitely a, a fickle pickle because uh, you being a black person and seeing firsthand like how they discriminate against us. Like we didn't we wouldn't even know it. Like it's so decoded and so embedded within the interview process and everything because it's been through years of refinement that you can't find overt racism anymore in in the workplace setting. You know, it's only after people get, you know, get drunk. And they start talking like their granddaddies and stuff. Then you start getting to the root of it. But, um, you know, being a recruiter, I started back in. I've recruited in, in Kentucky. I've recruited for, you know, basic warehouse positions and then orientations and hiring in those places. I've done um, I've done hospitality recruiting in Chicago um, with an awesome technology company here um, that I still pick up contracts with from time to time. Um and also, I've worked with, you know, done 
um, sales and placement and recruiting and in the technology field as well, as far as finding developers, ASP.net, like all that type of stuff. So I've seen a lot of different aspects of it. And I can tell you that the, min- the minority is black people in those positions. <laughs> like there's not very many black people in the recruiting office or that have the opportunity to give opportunity. So before I owned this business, I really thought that I could fight the system from within the system. You know, I thought that I could be a recruiter and I'll be like, I'll be completely objective. I'll listen to everybody and judge you based on the quality of the person that's coming in here. You know, I'll just I'll just go based off of raw skill. Can you do the job? And what was alarming to me is that I would end up not hiring black people (laughs) over white people being completely objective. But I I had to sit and look at that and be like, wow, like, am I an Uncle Tom? (laughs) And I had to realize, like, I wasn't, you know, I was just doing the job. I was doing what was expected and doing the best that I could with the system. And that's what's messed up is that is the system. It's working exactly as it should. And when I figured that out, I knew that I had to be one-on-one I had to engage with everyone that I came across every person of color and I really took it upon myself to make sure that I ensured their success and made sure that they had the same knowledge or at least had access to the knowledge that everybody else did you know you have people that show up in an improper uh, interview attire you know for for an interview you know anytime of course you know you got to dress I would rather be overdressed than underdressed you know if you come to a hospitality interview, this isn't like a corporate job or anything like that. Throw on some slacks, throw on some dress pants, throw on a button up. Easy peasy, lemon squeezy. You don't have to go through all the pain of putting on a suit or trying to be like that. But please do not come in in your pajamas like that doesn't work. <laughs> you know, nobody's going to take you seriously in your pajamas. So, you know, just making sure that people have basic information like that. You know, being able to talk about the experience that you have, you know, not bashing the place that you came from because, you know, it's talking about racism in front of white people is always, always touchy. It's always it's always a weird place to go, you know, because anytime we mention our history or our condition or anything that's real that's going on, you know, we're accused of being like reverse racist, like I'm. Like I'm somehow imputing a system upon you of oppression and now you can't get a job and you can't do this. But the problem is, is that you can, (laughs) you do have that privilege, you know, regardless if you want to admit it or not, if, if you're, if you're white, you have those privileges, you know, you can walk down the street and feel confident and secure that, you know, you'll make it down the street, you know, Unless you, you know, here in Chicago, you might not make it down the street because I've seen some pretty crazy stuff out here. Folks getting hit by cars and crap. But you're pretty certain, like, unless it's some crazy driver, you'll make it down the street. But me, on the other hand, every time CPD rolls by, I've got to, you know, keep my head on a swivel to make sure that I don't reach my hand in my pocket a certain way. Are they going to pull out and fire on me because I'm I'm walking this way or I got a hoodie on? I don't have my work clothes on, you know? Oh, and just another thing. Here's here's this. See this example of a rant right here. I really think it's really funny 
how when I'm in my work clothes and I go to, you know, one of the offices that I've worked at and people that I've done business with, when I'm dressed to the nine and I've got on my, my slacks and maybe a suit, they recognize me instantly. But I've seen these same exact people in the street. And when I have on a hoodie and I just got on the gear like my joggers and, you know, my NMDs, like they have no idea who I am. It's like, oh, Blake, Blake. Blake, oh, hey. <laughs> and it's like, oh, they realize who I am. Like, no, I, I'm not trying to steal your purse. I just want to say hello because I know you from somewhere. And <laughs> it's just crazy, man. Like, I really thought that I could beat the system from within the system. And that's that's the main thing that if there's anything that I can give to someone with this podcast or with any of the ventures that I'm going to get into um, in the future, because I've got huge plans of you know, media and trainings and coachings, mentoring, everything that I want to do um, just to get just so I can do something. I, I just got tired of sitting around and watching the news and looking at Facebook and posts and stuff, but not necessarily actually going to the places where there's problems. You know, I've worked at, you know, the the Goodwill workforce on 63rd and, and Western and, you know, in Inglewood. And it's it's a really awesome place to be because you see all this raw talent and all this ambition and people who could have been, you know, people who have gone through so much crap, you know what I'm saying? And they just want to get out there and make a difference. Um, and I had to learn that success, um, isn't measured by like how much money you have, you know, that's another construct that's been put on us. You, you know, we're told that you're not successful unless you make a bunch of money, you know? Um, I think it's okay if you click up with six or seven people and you don't make that much money, but six or seven of y'all are making a little bit of money, but it's six or seven times that little bit of money. And that turns into a lot of money. So don't ever let nobody tell you just because you have a job that pays a certain wage or something like you can, you always got power. You have people around you all the time. You're surrounded by greatness. You know, I'll always, you know, I'll occasionally have guests on here, you know, some of my homeboys, my brother, um, Nelly Nell with the tailor-made accessories, you know, a guy who has a regular nine to five job and is, you know, does events, you know, does, has accessories selling stuff, you know, just moving and shaking, you know, I got a brother that's a police officer and he owns a club, you know, he has a charity organization. I've got brothers that are artists. I got brothers that are computer programmers. I got, I have people in all these different positions and I really just want to highlight that because there's not enough of it. I'm tired of seeing a bunch of I'm tired of seeing cats run up on people in the mall and talking about, ooh, I'm hard or ooh, I'm I'm tough, you know, I'm a real nigga. And it's like, yeah, <laughs> you go ahead and be that. Excuse me, I had to take a drink of water. But you go ahead and do that, big fella. See, let me know how that's working out for you. Cause it ain't working well for our people, man. You know, there's not enough men standing up and letting people know that, hey, as long as you're taking care of your business, taking care of your family. Ain't nobody hungry. Everybody's got clothes. Everybody has opportunities to do better and to progress. Like you made it like it's all right, big fella. Like all you got to have is, you know, a place for your people to stay and opportunities for your people to make money that as as needed like that. That is perfectly OK. You know, you don't have to take over the world. You don't have to have a billion dollars before you're 30. Like <laughs> just because you're not Bill Gates or just because, you know, you're not Lil Yachty. And able to get a deal with Sprite, 
you know, right out of high school or something like that. Like, you're okay, man. It's all right. You know, everybody's got their own plan and everybody's got their own way to go. So don't even don't even let that hype get to you, man. Just be a man, provide for yours and take care of your family, because that's all that I can do, you know, and that's all that I would encourage you to do. But anyway, on to a book review. So I just finished this book, uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and I wanted to go over a few things in the book. It's definitely an awesome read. Um, <laughs> it, 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 it had me rolling and cracking up because there were some some points in the book that I used to say to my teachers or I would ask people and basically they would get angry for me asking certain questions, you know, but that's only because they didn't have the answers themselves. But the story is about a boy who's raised with two major uh, male figures in his life. Um, his biological father, who is a professor, has like his Ph.D., um, visibly, you know, from the outside looking in super duper successful. Right. And then you've got his other dad, who is um, one of his friend's dads who owns um, a business and he's going to be like is creating an empire and he's teaching him. And both of those dads teach him different lessons. And he basically has to make a choice of which dad do you listen to? Do you listen to rich dad or do you listen to the poor dad? Um, And it'll be funny. for you guys to see which dad is actually the rich one, which one's the poor one. Um, because right off the bat, you know, you talk about somebody who has a PhD and, and that type of stuff. And then you hear a business owner, it's like, you probably already thinking like which one's poor and which one's rich, but it's definitely a, um, a perspective twister. Um, one of the main lessons that I learned from that book, and I won't ruin the book for anybody, but this main lesson is something that I definitely want to touch on, um, is pay yourself first. You know, that concept is 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 it almost sounds abstract from the system that we've been brought up in, which is pay your bills, pay your mortgage. And then whatever you have left over, you spend it on whatever you want. Right. But the problem with that is is that you never end up owning anything that either creates income for you or that is even an asset. You know, a house is not an asset. A house is not an asset. Unless that house is making money, that house is not an asset. That car is not an asset. Unless that car is making money, that car is not an asset. (laughs) So uh, those are real huge things that I had to figure out, you know, and paying yourself first. Like before you pay your bills, before you actually go to ComEd or go to ComEd.com, you need to go to Chase.com or whatever bank uh, you bank with dot com and put some money into your account or further towards your dream. And I've had to learn to on on saving as well, not to just have it sitting there, make, have that money, make money, have that money, do something. You know, if you hear about a really great deal on some property and it's only a few thousand or something like that, or if you browse the foreclosed homes list and you want a project to work on, um, you can rent the house out. There's so many different ways to make money that are hidden from us that it's it was very frustrating you know to encounter that in the book and I read it I'm like what in the world nobody's ever taught me this and you know there's a few people in my family that own property but it's wild to me because everybody in my family has bills but I don't think anybody in my family has assets that actually generate income you know 
So I knew right then and there that I had some change in it to do. Uh, my family, and it's not a knock against my family or anybody's family that doesn't necessarily have that knowledge. It's just a lack of knowledge. That's all, you know, and that's what this podcast is here to do is to put out that knowledge. So um, I hope that 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 hope I hope that that really helps somebody out there who is who is questioning things, you know, pay yourself first, because if you don't pay yourself, you know, you're never going to get paid. Your money is going to get spent. If you have it in an idle account and it's just sitting there, it's eventually going to get spent. If you got a 401k, it's going to be gone. If you got a Roth IRA, it's going to be gone because it's not consistently generating the amount of income that's going to basically fight the adversity of inflation. You can't escape that monster. The way that the economy is going, like, we're donezo. Like, you gotta, you got to have something that makes an exponential amount of income because there's no way linear income is going to get you anywhere. You know, um, that's just a demonstration of, you know, some of the things that I've learned in the book. And I hope that everyone is able to retain something or or to gain something from that. You know, if you don't know or you've never heard of the book before, search it on Amazon. Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. Um, he's definitely a Trump guy, so I don't mess with that. And <laughs> but I, you can't argue with somebody who has figured out the system and um, and has the things that you may want, because. Not like I said, it's not everybody's position to be a millionaire, but I guarantee you in everybody's family, there's somebody who can handle the job. And if you guys get together and maybe it's not even one person that has a job, maybe it's seven of y'all. You get together, you figure out how to provide security for the next generation. Let's focus. Let's grow. Let's network. You know, if you got four or five homeboys and y'all making a little bit of money, go grab an apartment, go grab a condo like go in on a loan or something. You know what I'm saying? Who got the good credit? Put it in his name. <laughs> like, let's figure this out. Let's work together, you know? And I'm down to fight for the cause. I'm down to do whatever it takes for my people to be in the position that other people are in and that other races of people are in. You know, I know that I, I'm not necessarily anti anybody um, in particular, but I do stand firmly against the system of white supremacy and anything that is enforcing or anything that is holding that system in place like y'all can be gone be dead be out here somewhere like i'm down a ride for whatever like if if i gotta sacrifice or something like we got we got to stop we got to get over this fear we got to get over this fear of being afraid to tell the truth because every single one of our leaders before us was killed you know every time that we had a focal point or the man or the you know the man that was the movement then they kill him then you know the movement died <laughs> what happened after the 70s you know like is it was dead after that you know and there's different things that have popped up here and there but it's just funny to me how a lot of them are funded by white people <laughs> you find out that the administrators of it are you know are are white people so anyways i say all that to say this Thank you for tuning in to the Proper English Podcast. Um, I'm going to leave you guys with this word. Don't let your happenings deter your happiness. Whatever you got to do to stay happy, make sure you stay happy. Because this constant state of stress and inflammation is giving you cancer. Guaranteed it. And that Diet Coke is too. All right. It's Blake the Great, Proper English Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Peace.